Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. Hey Soul Sisters, today I have in the studio with me Dr. Emily Ford. Hey, Em. Hello. <laughs> and the fabulous Nick McClanahan. Hello. Hey, Mel. How you doing? Good. Now, we're in here because we're going to talk about something that shouldn't be secret women's business, but it kind of a bit is, the perimenopause. Yes. And we're going to have this conversation because Nick, who is the founder and CEO of Human Experience, mum of three, committed marathon runner, speaker, and all-round awesome chick, and my friend, Nick. Nick and I were up in Brizzy having a chat. We were. About lots of things. But one of them, Nick said to me, you know what? I'm kind of going through the perimenopause and no one's talking about it. It's so true. And just about every woman I speak to now, I try and wedge a perimenopause <laughs> conversation in there because I'm really passionate about talking about this taboo topic that that impacts all women at some stage or another. Yes. And because the fabulous Dr. Emily Ford has been on Hey Soul Sister before, she's an amazing PhD expert in women's fertility, including early menopause. Yes. So I am a researcher. I study, I studied early menopause throughout my PhD, looking at kind of what causes menopause to start earlier. And, you know, the menopause has always interested me because it's something that, you know, we're one of the very few mammals on earth that actually go through menopause. So we don't really know why it's so important, why at the certain age that it's at and everything. So that's what I'm here to talk about. You know, I love a good conversation about women's health and women's bits and (laughs) everything that goes with it. So I'm just going to quickly jump in and say something because you said something M that got me thinking very quickly. Do other animals have periods? Some do. Most normally they just go through estrus cycles, very similar to a menstrual cycle, but quite different. So their hormones will fluctuate in cyclic patterns, but they won't necessarily shed their uterine lining in the same way. They're kind of the way they support young is slightly different to the way humans do. Okay, that's interesting. You just said something. I'm like, oh, actually, I've never thought about that if other animals actually get periods. There you go. So, Nick, the big P, the perimenopause. (laughs) So, you're going through that, sister. Yeah, I am. So, when did you first kind of like, what were your first symptoms? When did you first start thinking, I reckon I'm going through perimenopause? Oh, it took me a while to get there, to be honest. Really subtle changes at first, and it certainly wasn't my first instinct of what was going on. I just actually finished my first marathon nearly two years ago. And about three months later, I was running and I just had like no energy running. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Couldn't run at the same pace or distance. And then probably the main change I noticed was really heavy periods, like super heavy periods, almost, can I talk really, really openly? Yeah, yeah, totally. So to the point of, I would bleed through a tampon and a pad in 30 to 45 minutes, kind of like that bleeding after you have a baby bleeding. And then also irregular. So I was always getting my periods, you know, in a cycle and then I would just bleed in the middle of a cycle. More recently, actually, in the last couple of months, it's been heart palpitations. I actually didn't realize until I did some more reading can also be associated with perimenopause. 
So I went to my doctor. I have a great doctor. And because of the heavy bleeding, I have to get iron infusions every month. So my energy is really low. And we went and got an ultrasound and I had six fibroids, one the size of an apple in my lining protruding through to my uterus. I had an operation, tried to do an ablation, and that's where they discovered my uterus is the size of a four and a half month pregnant woman. Wow. And it's heart shaped, which is, sounds lovely, mm. but means that they couldn't perform the ablation. And so I've now actually made the decision with my specialist and with my GP to actually have a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. So to help me with these symptoms, and it's not everyone's answer, but I feel really relieved that I'm going to do that. And something I learned about that though recently is when I, when I went through the procedure with my specialist is they don't actually remove your ovaries. No. So you still ovulate and you'll still go through menopause. Yeah, because that's where the hormones are produced, the ovaries. So you're not really removing that source of what's causing perimenopause. No. So potentially I'll still get other symptoms, but it's treating my major symptom at the moment. Mm -hmm. But through this discovery of the last 18 months to two years, I'd be talking to lots of different friends about it. And I think I'm always the one that starts a conversation and it normally goes something like, oh, you know, I'm going through this. Oh, me too. And I've got the, and all of a sudden this conversation would open up and I'm trying to work out why we aren't having this conversation. I think it's because it's an admission that we're getting old. It's a mission that we're not fertile and young and fresh anymore. And so it just seems to be really taboo. And I'm, I'm very passionate about us talking about it. And I've only got a few of the symptoms we were talking just before. There's something like 34 different symptoms of perimenopause and it can last from three months to 14 years and hit you at different age. Like it's, it's such an interesting topic that I think we need to talk about that is really impacts us and our lives and our relationships. So, yeah. And I think I could be in a little bit of perimenopause denial. I'm not sure. I think I could be. I think the experience of a lot of clinicians is that, you know, women will eventually present when the symptoms are so bad and they kind of don't link it to a central cause. So if they have a low libido or it's painful during sex or they're having heavy periods, they just kind of be like, oh, that's how it is. I'll just keep going. And they're not really attributing it to something that can actually, you know, be alleviated through medications. It's more like, oh, it's just another thing that I have to deal with. Yeah. And we're so resilient, right? Like I've had my period since I was 11 years old and they've always been heavy and I had three pregnancies and a complicated birth and like we're pretty like resilient creatures. So I think you're exactly right. Like, okay, this is it and I'll just keep forging on and off we go. Absolutely. Let's get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. Emily, dog. Can I call you a dog? Sure. Dr. M. I didn't even really know that the term perimenopause was a thing. I kind of knew the term premenopause because 12 years ago I was having chemotherapy for the breast cancer and that, you know, you're always having blood tests whenever you have chemotherapy. And I remember my medical oncologist was like, oh, FYI, you're going through premenopause right now. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't know what that means. And he's like, no, don't worry. You have, if you don't have any symptoms, don't worry about it. In saying that, I didn't have a period. So that probably was a good sign that I was going <laughs> through something because I didn't have a period for a very long time. But 
I actually didn't even realize I hadn't heard the term perimenopause. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference between like the premenopause, the perimenopause and the po- the menopause? Well, first of all, in medical terms, we normally define someone who hasn't gone through menopause as premenopause and someone who has as postmenopause. So they're two broad categories which we categorize women, but in terms of premenopause as a medical definition, different to perimenopause. Premenopause essentially you have no symptoms of going as you're approaching menopause. So typically for women with chemotherapy, women with Turner syndrome where their eggs are dying, but it's not really causing those other ovary aging effects that perimenopause has, which has all these other symptoms that go along with it that indicate menopause is near. I never thought about that. When I was having that chemotherapy, my eggs were being killed. Yeah, a lot of chemotherapeutic agents can cause egg death. There is research from some of my colleagues in Melbourne that are trying to identify which ones cause how much damage, how can we mitigate that. So essentially, you know, your eggs are sitting in your body your whole entire life from when you're born. So they're very susceptible to damage. I still must have some left though, because I've got my period back again. Yeah, you're probably doing, yeah. Okay, well, that's good. I just, I, I'd never thought about that before. I'm like, oh, my little eggs were dying. I didn't know that. Depends on what kind of therapeutic agent you were using, but yeah, typically they do. And that's why it's important to discuss fertility preservation. If people are going through chemotherapy, you know, what are the chances of conceiving afterwards? Is, is there something you can do now, like collecting your eggs, freezing a section of your ovary tissue? So if I was in like a pre-menopause then, I had no periods, but then my periods came back. Does that mean I bounce back to normal? Or does that mean like... You may have, depending on the type of chemotherapeutic, you may have a reduced number of eggs. But typically when you're going through some sort of trauma or extreme stress, you wouldn't have a period anyway. So it's not a direct indicator of your fertility. It's more like an indicator that your body is suffering. Okay, so Nick was just saying before, you were saying that you found an article that had 34 different types of perimenopause symptoms. Yeah. That's a freaking lot. That's a lot. How do we keep up with that? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Do we want to run through some of them? Sure. We don't have to go through all 34, but okay, Emily, what's kind of like the most common ones? Well, to actually diagnose perimenopause, you can pick three out of the following symptoms to give a diagnosis. New, heavy and or longer menstrual flow, shorter menstrual cycle length, new, sore, swollen and or lumpy breasts, new or increased menstrual cramps, new mid-sleep awakening, onset of night sweats, especially around flow, new or increased migraine headaches. Mm new or increased premenstrual mood swings and notable weight gain without changes in exercise or food intake. So these kind of things clinicians will use to say, or oh, if you have a few of these, it's likely perimenopause. Well, there are a couple that you just mentioned there <laughs> that I could probably tick off for myself, even though I am in a bit of denial about it. Like you were saying, Nick, we don't want to admit we're getting older. But yeah, I think that's a really big part of it. And I think it's, we just have to own it because I certainly don't want to be in my 20s anymore. I love being in my 40s and, and yeah. what that, how I feel now as opposed to my 20s, even though that was great too. So, yeah, I think we've got to own it and talk about it more and make it more socially acceptable. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to thesisterco.com. So for me, and I reckon it was probably, I noticed last year, I'd go to Got You Back Sister and I'd be chatting to like Joey and Perry and I'd be like, bloody hell. 
I'm waking up in the middle of the night drenched in sweat. Mm-hmm. What is that even about? And I'm like been trying to do the whole Duna heater fan <laughs> regulation. I now sleep with a fan on every night, even if it's freezing. So I have air conditioner and fan going at the same time. So I have cold air blowing on me, but there's general warm air in the room. Like, but I, I think I probably didn't really want to admit that it was a pre perimenopausal thing, but I go, but then the other girls at work are like, yeah, that happens to me waking mm. up in the night getting the, the the sweats like what does that even happen yeah so the hot flushes and night sweats are some of the main symptoms of perimenopause and 70 to 85 percent of people going through perimenopause will experience that and they're part of the group of symptoms that they're called vasomotor symptoms so that is headaches as well and this is because going through perimenopause heading to menopause you have a very low level of estrogen after menopause and very high level of the hormone we call follicle stimulating hormone fsh and so in perimenopause though your hormones are extremely erratic and you could have higher than normal estrogen and so estrogen is actually a vasodilator so it assists in opening up the veins to allow blood to flow through freely so it's kind of it's there it's low it's high it's low so you're having very different flows of blood throughout your body causing headaches it can cause dizziness and that's kind of what's responsible and we know for pregnant women at different points of the cycle estrogen is actually somehow responsible for controlling our core body temperature so pregnant women are normally hotter they have different levels of estrogen so if you think about that as well it's another factor that estrogen is responsible for kind of throwing women into chaos during this time it's so unpredictable dr m you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're so smart. So knowledgeable. I love it. Thank you. I'll put that on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> Mel said you're way smart. <laughs> but one thing that I want to touch on, because it probably is the taboo, is talking about sex and the impact of perimenopause on sex. Nick, have you noticed any changes in sex like your sex drive or whatever no i haven't but i might be a a unique case (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're nearly married like only a couple of years so you're still in the honeymoon honeymoon phase yeah so no but i can imagine that one would be really hard to talk about Hmm. yeah that is fairly common for women going through perimenopause you know the estrogen and the blood flow they all have impacts on you know the lining of the inside of the vagina you know and it's kind of one of those if you don't use it you lose it it can become dry and if it you know hasn't been stimulated or had the sufficient blood flow through for long enough it can become atrophied and it becomes you know really hard to come back from it can just basically the skin on the inside of the vagina becomes very pale and susceptible to tearing and just being very sensitive okay i have just been totally freaked out your your our vagina can atrophy Yes, yeah. Oh, I yeah I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this, holy shit. So you can get topical applications to help this. I know I research women with premature ovarian failure and a common prescription to them because they have early menopause is topical testosterone can help. Adding progesterone, I think, is another thing that clinicians do. But, you know, there's definitely things you can do to remedy it. But like I said, you know, a lot of women don't, 
you know, they have a low libido because of these hormonal changes and then they kind of don't want to have sex and then it's kind of, well, it's my fault that it hurts now and it's because I don't want to. That's not, you know, it's not, not a problem. It's just that I don't feel like it. But actually it's being caused by something that they can do something about. So it is important to talk about, they call it, medical doctors call it sexual difficulties. So if that is something you're struggling with, definitely say something because it can be, it can be helped. So if... If I got if I got this right, if you don't use it, you lose it. You can, yeah. If you don't use it, your Plus, vagina could literally shrivel up and die. Yeah. Holy oh my God. It takes a long time to get to that point. It really does. But yeah, when are we talking about months? We're talking about years. Yeah. Oh, years. So okay, there's a blood good. flow issue. So if you're having no blood flow to a region, like imagine if there was no blood flowing to one of your fingers, it would die. You know, it's okay. really important to stimulate, you know, to protect the skin, to protect the, you know, the so, area. Okay, my hubby has been away for a few days. Boom. <laughs> Homeboy's in some luck tonight. <laughs> oh, like, I, I'm, that has like rocked my world a bit. I actually, that, that, your vagina can atrophy. Mm. <sighs> You've got to keep it's, using it's it. It's a rabbit hole, Mel. Like you open up this topic and it's a rabbit hole that we need to talk about. I had no it idea is. of that either. Mm. Yeah, but I'm really glad you told me that. Yeah. Because I'm thinking if I'm on a down cycle, you know, there's that sometimes, you know, in your sexual relationship, you could be on an up cycle or a down cycle. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're in the down cycle. You want to get up. You don't want to go too long on the down cycle. Mm. Well, you get some permanent damage down there. <laughs> Want to save your soul? Review us on Apple Podcast. What are some of the potentially psychological or social impacts of perimenopause? And already I'm in distress about the chance my vagina could die. <laughs> like, but no, seriously, what are some of the psychological or social impacts of that? Depression is a huge one. Um, we know, I think I talked about last time I was here, that the menstrual cycle and our hormones have a huge impact on our behaviours and our moods. So not having that control, it leads a lot of women to become depressed or, you know, also having worse PMS symptoms as well can lead to, you know, just severe mood changes to what you're used to. And what would a doctor normally prescribe for that? Would he prescribe it in any depressant or just kind of do like a homeopathic remedy? So there's a combination of both. You can treat the depression, but I think, you know, a lot of what goes into feeling so depressed is this, you know, reckoning with what am I going through? What is the cause of it? You know, understanding that it's a normal thing and that understanding why it's happening can actually go a long way to help people feel okay and accept it. And so I think it's a matter of once you get into that hole of like everything's changing and my life feels worse, then it's really hard to get out of that. So that's why it's important like what we're doing now. Talk about it early, normalize it, and it's less likely you'll feel that I'm alone, my vagina's dying, and I'm the only one that happens to. I'd agree with that too. And what I've found is talking to my networks about it is people will refer people, I use this homeopath or this GP is really good or this specialist is really good. So it starts to open up your resources at the same time. And I think we talk a lot about things like getting our period and being pregnant and breastfeeding. And this, I feel like this is kind of a frontier that we don't talk about and share resources. Yeah. 
And I love that you're someone that likes to open the conversation about that, Nick. <laughs> Seriously, I try and wedge it in. Oh, I haven't spoken to this woman about perimenopause. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> no, but you are right in that there is that whole stigma around ageing. And, you know, again, I kind of go, I'm in a bit of denial about the whole thing. I'm one of those people, especially now I found out my vagina could die. It's freaking me out. <laughs> it's freaking me out a lot. Have you found yourself feeling depressed or stressed about any of your perimenopause symptoms oh look I'm a communicator so I'm not probably someone that does suffer in silence luckily I think that's part of my personality trait but I love um, that about you yeah yeah definitely when I couldn't work out what was going on and when I felt like I couldn't control what was going on with my body and once I got a great my GP's always been great but once I've got a specialist and we started talking about options and treatments and I felt like I had a handle on the situation and made some decisions, that's when I definitely started to feel better about it. And the more I found out, the more I felt like I was in control. Like I said, the heart palpitations are really quite new. And I thought, I'm not an anxious person. Am I starting to have panic attacks? Like, what's going on here? I don't feel really stressed. And then I realized it was actually a symptom of perimenopause. So, yeah. yeah. And so how do they actually diagnose perimenopause, Em? So as I was saying before, you basically have three of any of those lists of symptoms and it's very broad and there kind of wasn't really a well-defined definition of perimenopause until the 90s. So it's something new, you know, it can go from as little as two months to like more than 10 years, but normally they say it lasts for about two to eight years. And it can start in the 30s, it can start in your 40s. I also ran some blood tests with my GP. That was one of the first things we checked. And all my hormone levels didn't indicate that I was going through perimenopause. Really? Yes, it's actually quite hard to pinpoint as well. Yet my symptoms indicated that I was. What I have noticed, and I didn't put it down to being in perimenopause, was that I've always had cramps, like around my period. Ever since I was a girl, I always have had bad cramps. But I have found probably the last couple of years is that my period will like hit me hard for two days, like really heavy, but I could go to bed and not surface for a couple Mm. of days. I feel really ill with it, Mm. like not just cramps, but actually I feel really sick and I get anxiety. Mm. So I I actually, I find it a struggle to get through the day. Mm. And it always seems to happen when there's something really important going on at Got Your Back Sister, so I can't (laughs) just go and curl up and go to bed. And I keep thinking... Uh, that's what I feel like I I could do right now. So, again, I've always had a a crampy period, but never to the point like I have the last few years where I feel I need to go to bed. Yeah, the severity of PMS and, you know, menstrual-related unwellness does increase in perimenopause. And the heavy bleeding is normally due to a cycle where there is no ovulated egg. So, you know, normally when young girls are going through puberty, they have heavier periods because there is no egg being ovulated. So it's something about the balance of hormones that kind of, if there's no egg coming out, that's because of a hormonal imbalance, which kind of makes everything a bit worse. Yeah. So why do some people have bad symptoms during perimenopause and why do some people not? Oh, we have no idea. I think that is one of the priorities for research in perimenopause because we can't predict how someone's experience will be and we can't assure someone, you know, it will last for a definite period. It will last forever. We have no idea. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Yep. It'd be interesting to see if somebody actually researches that and, and, and comes up with some sort of discovery that can explain some of that. 
if we could detect early what kind of support people needed throughout their perimenopause, they may not really even need to experience it. There is a lot of prescriptions of hormones and different things to modulate your symptoms, but you still have to go through the worst of it to identify them as a symptom, which is unfair. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to thesisterco.com. So, Dr. M, can you actually get pregnant during perimenopause? Yes, you can. So I said sometimes your cycles will have no ovulations. Sometimes your cycles will have multiple ovulations because that FSH hormone, which actually, you know, tells all the eggs, you need to start growing because we need to get going. And it kind of expires your eggs a lot faster than normal and, you know, ejects multiple eggs. So you could get pregnant with twins or triplets. Is that why a lot of older people, the older celebrities all seem to be having twins? Yeah, because of that, that's a possibility. But also IVF and embryo transfers can generate a lot of twins. So that's one of the other sides of that. So a common, you know, treatment throughout perimenopause is the insertion of an IUD, for example, which also helps to prevent a pregnancy if that's what the person's interested in. Actually, somebody said to me the other day, who was it? I think it might have been Joey. I can't remember. Somebody said to me, they're like, I was, I think, complaining about the heavy by heavy period and the feeling really unwell. And she was like, go get an IUD and go get a marina in. And I kind of, in my head, was like, what difference would that make? Would it make a difference? They can. Sometimes they can cause heavy bleeding for people. But essentially, it's a device either with hormones or without hormones that's inserted into just past your cervix, so in your uterus. And it works by either releasing hormones in the same way that, you know, a pill or an implant would do. And the copper one just is a barrier and toxicant to sperm. So it can kind of occupy your uterus and just, you know, work as an ongoing contraceptive for five to 10 years. I want to ask another question, and this is around progesterone, because my understanding is that progesterone is the calming hormone that kind of like increases during your cycle and it keeps you like nice and calm and and that it drops just before your period, which is why we can get the anxiety. What happens to our progesterone as we, you know, go into perimenopause or the pause. It drops. So that makes sense with a lot of the symptoms. Um, Your estrogen and progesterone decrease. Can I take some more? Can you actually take it orally? You can, yes. Um, Normally they they use it to help with the heavy bleeding, I think, that can help. And it can help with, you know, the the uptake of your vagina staying healthy, but it can be prescribed. But it also has some complications and contraindications for different people. So is that hormone replacement therapy? Yeah, that's part of hormone replacement therapy. They also give estrogen as well to kind of buffer the symptoms you're going through as the estrogen's, you know, off the charts. Okay, there you go. (laughs) That's a big topic. Mm. I've learned a lot today. Mm. Yeah, same. (laughs) Some of it really scary. (laughs) But once you actually get to the menopause, do our symptoms kind of drop away? Yes, they do. So typically menopause is one day of your life. So 12 months after your last period and from then on, you know, we we tend to think everything is settled. There may be still some ongoing, you know, issues not related to your hormones. So we know that estrogen is really important for our bone health, our bone density. So it's important to, you know, check for osteoporosis, take, you know, vitamin supplements. But, you know, in terms of the hormonal roller coaster, that's pretty much over. There you have it. Thank you so much. <laughs> 
<laughs> thanks, Dr. M. Thanks, Nick. Nick, thank you so much for starting this conversation. Oh, you're welcome. I'm actually really glad that you did that and that we've done this episode today. And Dr. M, you're just a plethora of knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> thank you so much. I love talking about it. <laughs> I know, we can tell and I love that. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Soul Sisters. Now, quickly, Dr. M, how can people find out more about you? You can find me on Twitter. I post a lot about science and my work and that's twitter.com forward slash Emma Ulema, which is E-M-M-A-O-O-L-E-M-M-A. And Nick, how can people find out more about you? Uh, probably LinkedIn, Nick McClanahan, and that's M-C-C-L-A-N-A-C-H-A-N. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Soul Sisters. Thank you. Thanks, Mel. Thanks for listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon. What would help you on your crazy life journey? Email melissa at thesistercode.com. 